Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Well, you come out going shopping when you owe somebody money, Johnny. That ain't right. How much you got to I'm going to pay him next week. I'm going to pay you. Who the hell are you? Well, I'm this here private investigator who was sent here this afternoon to uh, find you, but the good doctor here dummied up. It's just, it's too far. My lord, did you just say a serious musician? I don't think so. He called you a cowboy. What did he mean? What are you? Just a humble bounty hunter, ma'am. Well, hello, everyone. This is Chris, uh, your host here at the uh, Hurtastic Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Um, just wanted to remind you, if you're tuning in today, what this show's really all about. Uh, well, it's, uh, it's, it's about films. It's about movies, pictures, um, flicks, whatever you want to call them. I uh, normally have a ranking for them, but that's for another day. Uh, but we talk about movies. Uh, we talk about movies that are coming out, movies that have come out that we want to revisit, um, we talk about things that are happening in the news for films, and most importantly, we talk about those precious Blu-rays, particularly those boutique labels. Um, if you are tuning in um, from last episode, which was top five movie theater experiences with the creative director Jen John Meyer, um, I'll have a link of that down below on our website here. Uh, but really great episode. Just a quick recap for those who didn't listen. Shame on you, but you probably should. Um, sorry, that's the whiskey coke talking there. You hear that? Yeah, there it is. Um, but no, last episode I had Jennifer John Meyer on here. We talked about the uh, top five uh, theater experiences we had because you know it life really does suck with the whole COVID nineteen epidemic. It's hard to go to a theater and see movies, and now we have to succumb to the rapid change that is uh, uh, video on demand at home for new releases. Uh, but you know what? If you really want to do that, man, I give you a lot of credit for wanting to watch Scoob and the Trolls World Tour movie. And you got to blame Trolls because the future of theaters don't look so bright. But if you want happy thoughts about movies and theaters, this is the show to be on. I promise you that. Uh, one thing about this uh, channel uh, on the podcast is it's part of an even bigger thing. I even have a YouTube channel. If you want to see how I look, which I don't recommend because you'll be disappointed, ladies especially, some guys maybe. Um, but yeah, I have a YouTube channel where uh, basically I show movies that I have because I need something to fill my hole inside and usually Blu-rays usually do that. Um, so if you want to see some of my movie collections and what I look like showing them off, um, and pretending to act like I know anything about them, uh, there's a link to that YouTube channel, the Hurtastic Reviews, uh, down below as well. Um, so for those who are listening and have been following the channel, I, I thank you so much for your support and, uh, your lending ears. You're probably bored. I can't blame you there. You have a lot of time in your hands if you're, uh, non-essential, which I am essential, trust me. Um... But, you know, I am uh, changing the structure of this podcast. And uh, the reason being, I'm a little bored of what it is. Um, and I want it to be a little bit more fun. Uh, so this is the first attempt I'm making at this. And hopefully the next episode um, will be a lot cleaner. But from now on, this is uh, we're going to have a little bit few more segments besides just the main event um, talking for the whole episode. What I want to start doing is talking about um, things I have been watching. So if you're watching just on my YouTube channel, you're not excluded now if you listen to the podcast as well. You'll get to see what I'm um, watching, uh, basically. So I will talk about a few films I've maybe been seeing. That way you can follow me on my letterbox too, wink, wink. Um, and then also I, I want to talk about maybe more things that are in the news uh, lately. I know news is a little slow, but there's some goodies there, trust me. Uh, I also want to talk about uh, movies that are uh, up to date uh, that are on the on Amazon. So we'll we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, just just you know to, to to recap a couple things I've been watching lately. If you've been curious, because I trust me, I want to hear down below the comment sections. Email the show um, at hertastic.reviews at gmail.com. Um, there's a link of that down below. I want to know what you've been watching. Hit me up on Twitter. Let me know what you're um you've been watching. But for me. What I've been watching, just a few films that uh, uh, I have been watching recently. Uh, I've been watching, uh, recent, the most recent was Amor by Michael Hanke, I think I, was, I believe is how I pronounce his name. It was not for Best Picture in 2013. It was a 2012 film, but you know, it was for the 2013 Oscars. Um, not a big fan of it at all. Um, I'm not very familiar with his work, so maybe I'm missing something there, which is totally fine, um, but... If you haven't seen Amor, uh, it's a two-hour movie. 
uh, about an elderly couple and basically the trials and tribulations of that um, relationship. It's pretty depressing and not in the good way either. I, what I mean by depressing is um, it's sad and there's not really any means to it. So there's some movies that are really depressing and sad, but you know what? There's some sort of message behind it. There's like a something to, 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 to give to the audience there. It's not sad for the sake of being sad. Just like some movies are violent and ugly for the sake of being violent and ugly. Um, mostly like the torture porn, um, subgenre. Some of them are really good and some are just like upsetting, you know? And this, to me, this movie about love and, and the, the, the dark side, not in the good way, not like in a dramatic way, but more of like the inevitability of love and, and age. It just, they really care for it, but you know, I'm also single and you know, maybe I haven't had that type of relationship with someone. So if you want to read about that angry review, that's on Letterboxd too. Uh, the next film I most recently watched was I Walk With a Zombie, and I'm not going to say anything else about that episode because I will be recording an episode with my dear buddy, host of Cobwebs. He's been blowing up. Uh, his name's Daniel, Daniel Appler. He's been on this uh, podcast and on the YouTube channel before, and uh, I will be on there this week. I don't know when it'll be uploaded in the near future, but I am recording it tomorrow, actually, when this podcast gets uh, aired. Uh, we'll be talking about it, so I'm not going to say anything else about it. So, next film I watched was His Girl Friday, and good God, was that film. I gotta just take a drink because uh, I'm just getting excited. But His Girl Friday, uh, Cary Grant is freaking phenomenal in this movie. Um, uh, His Girl Friday is a film from 1945, I believe. Nope, excuse me, it was from 1945, years too late. But it stars Cary Grant and Rosaline Russell. Um, as ex-divorcees um, who uh, work at a newspaper together and there's a big hit story and Rosaline Russell wants to leave. Uh, her name's Hildy and uh, Walter, played by Cary Grant, does not want her to go and he does not like the man she's with. So he's in. He's kind of meticulously trying to keep her to stay and this story just blows up. It's, it's such a fantastic film. Honestly, it's I give it a 5 out of 5 stars because... I mean, good lord, it's just so damn entertaining. It has a lot to say, even though it's in a light-hearted kind of way. It's not on the same level as, like, the sweet smell of success or um, a face in the crowd, you know. It, it, it's it's nothing like Ace in the Hole either. But, man, it does give a good damn, damn good message on journalism, which I absolutely applaud. Uh, it's a fantastic movie. It's a romantic comedy. Um, if, if, if you're going to watch any movies in the near future, watch that right now uh, because it's freaking phenomenal. It's currently streaming... For the time being, it's leaving at the end of this month in May um, on the Criterion channel. So check that out. Uh, the final film I most recently watched, which um, I'll just tie it in on today's whole main episode. I've un unintentionally been watching uh, more religious type films or some sort of relation to religion films. Uh, so this main episode today is kind of talking about that in film. And I'm kind of fascinated by it. Uh, we'll get into that later. But that uh, one of the two movies I'll be talking about today is... The Gospel According to St. Matthew, and the that was directed by Pier Paolo Pasolini. And then the second film we'll be also talking about is Leon Maureen, comma, Priest, directed uh, by Jean-Pierre Melville. So this is my second Melville film, if you've listened on this podcast before. That's going to be our headline today. So, But before we get to that, we're going to move on to a new segment that's uh, in today's news. All right, so in today's news, um, let's see, today's May uh, 19th of, uh, of our Lord 2020. Um, hot, it's a fresh hot start to 2020, am I right, everyone? Anyway, <laughs> in today's movie news, um, things that I look forward to, um, this next coming month in June, June 1st, I would even say be ready at the very end of the month on May 31st because F This Movie Podcast, which is a phenomenal podcast and I recommend it, um, they're doing their annual, um, speaking of religion, right? Their annual, um, event, which is called Junesploitation. And basically the great, great contributors of that podcast and, uh, website, uh, create basically a streamlined, um, for the whole entire month of June, different genres for each day. And you can basically pick what movies in a month long marathon that you can watch and they participate like hell on Twitter. So if you're on Twitter, follow F This Movie Podcast. Um, they're just a phenomenal group. Uh, I haven't really been super 
uh, in contact with any of them. Um, Daniel has for sure. Um, but they're just, I've talked to a few from time to time and looked at tweets. They're just phenomenal people. I've tried participating in exploitation. really tough, but it can be done. Daniel does it every year. Uh, Twitter seems to participate in this holy grail of uh, month-long film watching. And uh, you know what? I have to co-sign on it because it's a freaking genius idea. Uh, but this month uh, of May, basically, I'm just going to really try and start scheduling what I'm going to watch because I usually wait till last minute. I have about 11 days to do that, and I think I will. Uh, but if that's something you're interested in, I'll put a link of that down below for their uh, each day uh, um, of the month so of movies they're going to they're going to watch uh, based on the genre. So maybe you can fill out your own. Um, what else is new in the news? Well, actually, surprisingly enough, these are for my uh, uh, people who only watch three movies a year. Um, Bane Mask from The Dark Knight Rises are actually selling out at a rapid rate. Uh, <laughs> let that sink in. It's 2020, and Dark Knight Rises is making headlines of all films. Uh, but yeah, Bane Masks. Remember, Bane was played by Tom Hardy, uh, every C plus to hell movie viewer's favorite actor. Um, but he he played Bane, and obviously everyone remembers how iconic that was, I guess, right? Until he, he died a very dramatic death. Uh, that's sarcasm if you haven't seen the movie, which, I mean, I guess I can recommend. I don't know. It's 2020. If you haven't seen The Dark Knight Rises, you're probably better off, maybe. Uh, <laughs> but Bane masks are selling like crazy, and it's obviously because the chads want to sound cool and look cool when they're out in public, which is great. Uh, do I sound really snidey when I do that? Is that a word? Snidey? I'm sneering. I'm being a douchebag is what I'm doing right now. The whiskey coke is really hitting me. And uh, my distaste for The Dark Knight Rises and that fandom is coming out. Uh, but I do like Joker. Don't get me wrong. Um, but the fact that's making a headline shows you how slow things are. And these things that I'm going to talk about next aren't getting enough praise. But uh, other things in the news. Uh, the Five Bloods, a film which is a Spike Lee joint, mind you, has recently been announced uh, on Netflix. It will be released on June 12th uh, on Netflix, the streaming service, obviously. Uh, the Five Bloods. So it's a film by Spike Lee who directed uh, Black Klansman, Do the Right Thing, Crooklyn, um, Jungle Fever. Uh, you know, th these these very, very well-known movies. He's finally doing another movie, and it's on Netflix. He's one of the... This is very important because he's one of those mainstream A-list uh, directors, at least in my opinion... Who is hopped on the Netflix release? If you remember last year, Noah Baumbach and Martin Scorsese uh, hopped in on that and were incredibly successful with that. And then Alfonso Cuaron and the Coen brothers previously uh, for Roma and The Ballad of Buster Scroats, they put out stuff on Netflix too. Is this a growing trend? I know Steven Spielberg is probably cursing his Spike Lee's name in, in releasing this movie uh, because, I mean, you know, he loves Netflix if, if that's you know, you ever followed that, that that's not true at all. Uh, but yeah, Spike Lee's bringing out a movie and it stars Chadwick Boseman. Um, and it looks like it's, uh, it's, it's not set in the Vietnam war. It looks like it's set during the, the, the civil rights times, which was, I guess, during the Vietnam war. But the, 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 the actors in this movie, um, they look a lot older. So it looks like they're going back to Vietnam because apparently based on the synopsis, they're going to visit and fi um, find like, their old uh, squad leader, who's played by Chadwick Boseman, and find his remains and where he was buried. So it seems like it's a movie set more towards the present day, and it looks like it's revisiting the past with scenes of, um, uh, of you know, just background um, information on that. So that seems very interesting. I'm definitely going to be checking that out. Uh, I'm a big fan of Spike Lee and his works, um, and I see a few actors in there I recognize. And, you know, when you get Spike Lee, you get a heavy dose of, which isn't always a bad thing, but... You get a heavy dose of social commentary for today's times. And, you know, I'm always down for that. Um, that's kind of fitting of today's episode. Uh, other mov movies in the news. Uh, Yorgos Lathamos, uh, who did The Favorite and The Lobster. He has a new movie coming out. Not really quite sure what it's about. But, you know, if Yorgos is going to be making a movie in the near future, um, I'm getting a little uh, excited if he's, you know, just on a film perspective. Not in an attractive way, but just... I'm very attracted to his films, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> and speaking of attractiveness to films, Scream 5 has been confirmed, and David Arquette has been um, agreed to star in the new Scream 5 movie. Was I 
asking for a new Scream movie? No, but I guess I'm pretty pumped about it. I don't know when its release date is. I just know it's going to be coming out. And honestly, with Scream as a franchise, Scream 4 wasn't the most... It wasn't the worst movie. You know, it's hard for movies to pull. And it's it's funny because it's Wes Craven, but it's funny and it's crazy how it managed to pull a fourth movie in a trilogy that I thought was pretty damn good. And 4 is still very good, too. It's serviceable. It's not bad or anything. And, but no, Scream 5 is coming out, and I wish I was a little bit more excited for it. But I mean, man, just being isolated and and it's just thinking about movies that are coming to theaters, it, it's, it's tough. You know, I can't really tell if that's um, something that's going to happen in the near future. I mean, so many movies are getting pushed back. I mean, it's hard to tell when things are going to be released. And I'm sure as hell not going to buy a movie on video on demand for new releases. I just don't, I don't see the profit in it. The, the problem is it's, it's, it's prices set too damn high and there's no, the only thing you get out of it is you get to stay at home and watch it. And this is a really interesting conversation because there's so many different opinions I've heard lately about this. I'm not a big fan because it's set too high. It's around $16.99 and it's like a 48 hour rental, I believe. So for two days you get this brand new, new release movie that's streamed, mind you. So you better hope your internet's good. Um, you're streaming this movie. And most times movies that are in theaters, th- within like 90 days, they, they get a physical and video on demand release anyway. Um, and so you just, if you like the movie, you, you can go to the store and pick it up or order on Amazon. Um, and you own that property. With streaming, folks, you don't. And this price um, system of these video on demand new releases you know, you're basically ba- paying for a Blu-ray that you don't get to keep for two days. Sure. I mean, I don't get, I don't, I don't understand it. I guess during quarantine I do because if you have kids and that new Scoob movie is being shown and they can't go to the theaters and see it, you're, you're, you're saving yourself a headache and money by renting a movie that just now released at home and you don't have to deal with them in public. So I totally get that, but I don't have kids. So it's a, as a single 24-year-old in a, in a city uh, that has more than two movie theaters um, and who is an avid physical media collector, I'm not a big fan of this business model. I'm not even a fan of the practice, um, but it's something that might change for the future, which really is concerning. And I feel like this is a time now where I'm battle crying to people who love the theater experience, who collect physical media, as soon as theaters can open and be smart about it, you should go to a movie theater, particularly your smaller independent theaters like an Alamo Draft House or uh, here we have a thing called the Moxie. Um, you know, small little independent theaters, go there and support them as soon as you can because I feel like as soon as uh, on-demand companies start to realize that people aren't going to the theaters, theaters aren't going to be able to compete and I would hate to see that happen. Um, and then eventually if you want any movie new, you'll have to wait for a Blu-ray release if they even decide to put it out or they'll just keep it streaming and you have to subscribe to that streaming service. HBO Max is what I'm basically saying. Uh, there's my small little hurtastic rant right there uh, for the episode. But you know what? We're going to move on to something a little bit a little bit happier. It, it, we're going to be talking about physical media releases. <laughs> Uh, so here at each episode, I want to talk about, um, what's price dropped, uh, online so you can order it because I, more movies for people that are listening, the more conversations we can have. Uh, so if you're just tuning in to the show for this part, this is the part you've been waiting for. Here are the most recent prices for Blu-rays you can order on Amazon. Now, if you don't have an Amazon prime, I mean, maybe bum off somebody. I bum off my, my roommate, you know, just, you know, it's just, what, it's just simple, you know? You bum off each other's Netflix's accounts anyway. Let them borrow your Amazon for crying out loud. Your friend is saving cinema ordering these things. Um, but you can probably find them on eBay as well. Um, maybe a few other websites. There's a lot of great websites for movies that are doing incredible deals. Screen Factory did a sale. Arrow's been doing sales. Kino had a winter sale. Uh, I'm waiting on that Criterion sale for crying out loud. Whenever that comes out, I'm thinking, I think it comes out in June, but regardless, here are the newest Blu-rays that are super dirt cheap right now. And if you're bored and you need new movies, here's what you pick up. So number one on the list, uh, the Nick Cage film color out of space 4k is priced right now at $12 and 96 cents. That's a damn good deal for a new release on 4k. And I heard that movie's nuts. I haven't seen it myself, and I think it's streaming on Shudder, which is a great horror streaming service. 
But you know what? If you loved this movie and you saw it already through streaming, just order it right now. Uh, this is, I think, for everyone. Uh, you know what? I'm not a big fan of it that much. But, I mean, for the price of what it used to be, I definitely recommend. Uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey, the 4K um, uh, Anniversary Edition, is $19.96. 20 bucks. I paid $32 for it. Um, for my animated fans, uh, Batman Beyond, uh, the Blu-ray Complete Edition series, is $41 right now. Um, I was almost going to buy it on eBay for $54. So, I mean, if you have the dark, the Batman animated series already on Blu-ray, get the Batman Beyond. Batman Beyond was cool with Terry, uh, McGinnis as the new Batman. You had Kevin Conroy still as old Batman. Where's my Batman Beyond live action movie? I know we're getting Robert Pattinson in the Batman A24 film, but it's not an A24 film, but it sounds like it should be. Um, did you know that movie is going to be the darkest adaptation of Batman according to the cast? Um, like we haven't heard that one before, right? <laughs> um, God, I, I, if any sort of celebrity is listening to this, I'm probably blacklisted as, like if I was a communist during the Red Scare. Oh shit, was that a communist joke? Jeez Louise. Uh, anyway, more movies that are on sale. So, Shout Factory has been doing a bunch of... Apparently they got the rights to Studio Ghibli's um, physical release um, department because they have... A lot of Blu-rays from the Studio Ghibli collection. I'm putting them on really cool editions like this, for example. The Howl's Moving Castle Red Steel book right now is $17.99. That used to be like $25 by itself. So $17.99, I definitely would pick that up. Um, for my horror fans, um, if you're a big fan of Ari Aster, his Midsummer or Midsummer, excuse me, uh, Blu-ray right now is $6.98. $6.98. It is dirt cheap. Pick up Hereditary if you didn't own it yet. That was that's like five bucks right now, so you can get that in Midsummer. Uh, cruising for my boutique label collectors. Cruising the uh, Al Pacino most recent Arrow uh, video release is eighteen ninety nine right now. It's in my car. Am I gonna pull the trigger? If I drink a little bit more of this whiskey coat, you bet your damn ass I'm gonna. Um, let's see, Three from Hell, um, the Rob Zombie trilogy film. Which, uh, if you haven't seen House of a Thousand Corpses and the masterpiece that is The Devil Rejects, watch those and then get the hell, the three from hell for $9.99. Now, I picked that up for $4.99 at a family video after I coaxed the, uh, the lady who was working there to sell it to me. So, if you don't have good negotiation skills, just get it on uh, Amazon right now. Um, and then finally, we're handing it with horror because, damn it, I'm a horror schlob. You can buy the most recent horror, almost masterpiece. It's it, it, it might be at some point because it's pretty fucking good. Yes, I'm cursing on this podcast. Kids, if you're listening, you shouldn't be. I'm reporting you. Um, but Hellfest, you know, Hellfest, the, the, the cult indie classic that came out a few years prior, is only $5 on Blu-ray right now. Are you freaking kidding me? If you want a movie in the background with your friends at a party, especially for this upcoming Halloween, if social distancing is is, is, is not a thing, uh, God, I hope it is, isn't a thing. I hope we're done with this whole thing by Halloween because Halloween's on a Saturday. Well, freaking Hellfest is the best movie to put in the background there. It's $5. Pick it up. And you know what? It's actually a freaking phenomenal movie too. I remember when I watched it, I was just dancing up and down because I was like, I wanted Hellfest to exist in real life. <laughs> But yeah, those are the most recent movie releases um, that are dropped down in price on Amazon. So I would try and pick them up right now before I decide to. And then they're probably out of stock. I already saw there's a few movies low on stock or some already are temporarily out. So try and freaking pick them up as soon as you can. Um, let's see. YouTube channel. So I recently changed um, the format of my YouTube channel. Like I said, um, part of the segment of this podcast will be on my YouTube channel at Hurtastic Reviews. Uh, that YouTube channel is very unsuccessful, very unpopular, and downright boring if you ask me because I'm on there as your host and talking about movies um, and showing off movies. Uh, but you know what? If you want to check out uh, how I look during this podcast when I'm showing things off, um, check that out at the Hurtastic Reviews. Um, now one interesting thing I want to kind of talk about to anybody who's listening today is I have an amazing group of friends and I'm not really worthy of having them because they all happen to be film nerds and they know their shit and they have a great sense of humor as well. And they pick up on quotes. One's an aspiring filmmaker. Um, one of them has a beard and a very, very successful YouTube channel at over a thousand subscribers. His name's Nathan Jones. You've He's been on this podcast before, and he's been on my channel 
Um, but he, he he's part of the friend group. Daniel of Cobwebs, of course. Um, and then I have an anime friend, uh, Nick, who's not been on this podcast or channel, but uh, I live with him, So, but he knows his anime. So my weebs, I challenge you to to challenge me in the comments so I can throw that to Nick to see if he knows about what you're talking about or not. I like anime too, but there's some deep cuts that I'm not really familiar with. Um, but anyway, I have them and then another fellow podcaster uh, of the Talon Bros podcast, Nate Talon. Um, and we're all participating in this uh, movie bracket challenge that I have created for them. Um, and basically what it is is I've picked out some of the movies I've seen and want to see that were nominated for Best Picture since the since when Wings won Best Picture nineteen whatever, um, all the way up to the most recent Oscar winner uh, Joker. I mean Parasite, and I'm picking out the nominees of every single year. Not in every single year, but I mean, I have that whole plethora of nominated movies um, that I could put in this bracket. And what we do is we watch these movies. If we haven't seen them before, we talk about them and we vote on them in basically a March Madness bracket style because March Madness didn't happen and I like basketball. So I decided to make this for my friends and I uh, for Best Picture nominees and we vote on them. So if you're interested in knowing about that bracket, uh, I can share that down below. But uh, each episode, I'll definitely give updates on that. We've already started voting and it was really great so far. It's been a tough one. I am... Um, for example, we voted, which was very, very hard. Um, our first vote was on Taxi Driver versus Inglorious Bastards. Uh, and since there's five of us, uh, unfortunately, Inglorious Bastards barely beat out my beloved Taxi Driver, which freaking irked the hell out of me. Um, um, one up, one uh, matchup that's going to be coming up soon, we're going to do is Fargo versus Goodfellas and Pygmalion versus the the Philadelphia story. Now, if you're listening and you've seen those movies, I mean, you you, you try and vote on these movies. I mean, I don't know how I'm doing it. I, I, I rewatch them or I watch them with my roommate Seth and whatever rubs me the right way, which, I mean, boy, do films do that. Um, I We vote on it. So we'll do that up until the bracket is completely done. Uh, we try to vote every week for about two to three movies if we can, if we get lucky. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of what we've been doing as well. All right, so for those uh, who are tuning into the YouTube channel, uh, this is the part of the segment of the show where I'm going to show off some of my pickups, which, um, man, boy, do I want to brag about them a little bit. I, I like to show off movies because I want to feel validated uh, and think like I'm cool in like the cloutness of uh, collecting physical media. It's not really the case, actually. I just pick up whatever I like. And when I was at a young age, I, I, I was like, oh, VHSs are so cool. And it's like I wanted to own all the movies that I could. But, I mean, I was a kid, you know, and I went to garage sales and and uh, bought Blu-rays. Or not Blu-rays, bought VHSs, you know. And I always told myself I would buy movies that I love um, when I could. So that's what I'm doing now as an adult. And so far, it's, it's put me in crippling debt. Um, I think it scares women off and... I think the only validation I get is for my cat, Jonesy, who just always just meows and nods in approval. Um, but yeah, I want to talk about just a few of the pickups I made. Uh, most of them are boutique labels uh, of Aero, Eureka. Um, you know, I'm one of those rich snobs who uh, actually has a region-free Blu-ray player. Um, so, you know, uh, yeah, suck it to those who don't. I'm just... <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, if you don't have a region-free Blu-ray player because of financial means, um, I, I definitely with you. I was always too afraid to pull the trigger. I, I got lucky in being able to, um, to, to, to get one from someone. And uh, it's worked out really well so far. And uh, yeah, i just I just been a lot happier since. It's, it's uh, definitely changed my life. Excuse me, not my mind, my life. Um, you know, there wasn't room for... There was a lot of room for improvement. So buying a region-free Blu-ray player definitely impacted me in a higher significant way than most other things like graduating college um moving out of my parents house buying my first car um owning a cat no like blu-ray purchasing is probably like the highest of highs i can usually get um uh i'm not condoning buying blu-rays to feel better about yourself but i mean man i feel a lot happier uh, <laughs> If you, if you're watching uh, right now, currently uh, you're tuning in. This is the new segment we'll be doing on the YouTube channel. So, yeah, uh, welcome. Uh, but anyway, let's talk about the movies I picked up. So the movies I picked up, uh, I'll start off with the arrows because uh, I'm biased towards arrows because I love them. Um, 
I picked up the American Werewolf in London Arrow release. It's not the special limited edition because I have student debt, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, this thing is freaking phenomenal. I haven't watched it yet, but the movie I've seen in the movie is it's it. What is it? Quoting, uh, gangbusters. It, it, this thing slaps to hell. Um, it's funny. It's a John Landis film. Uh, John Landis. I, I, I really love as a filmmaker. Um, and I'm so excited to have this edition, um, this release. Uh, it's just a gorgeous cover. Uh, it's a fantastic movie. And it was one of those weird Blu-rays where it had two different versions where like one, one Blu-ray, like the full moon edition wasn't like the proper restoration. And then there was the like proper release, but this is like the definitive edition. Now I don't have to freaking worry about that crap because I own the dang movie. So yeah, American Werewolf in London. Uh, the next movie I picked up, um, which probably is one of the craziest nights of lonesomeness that I ever had. I went to, uh, before COVID broke out, mind you. So I, I didn't break social distancing. Um, I went to my buddy Daniel's house cause you know, we're actual friends. We're not just, we don't say we're friends. Like we're actually friends. Like he invites me to his house before this all happened and talks to me on a regular and stuff. Um, usually calls me my boy. So, I mean, I think things are getting kind of serious basically. Um, but, uh, he, he let me, um, sleep over once, uh, and, uh, I got to watch brain damage cause he owned it and I didn't get it, um, which I've been wanting to see. And I watched it by myself and it had some of the greatest moments of cinema history I've ever seen in my life. And I'm not just gassing that one up. Like I, I mean it, like there's some freaking amazing moments in this movie that have never left my mind, nor will it ever. So I had to buy the movie and here it is brain damage. I just, it movie came out in, Oh boy, 1988, um, which was a great year for film. Um, and it's under 90 minutes. It's 86 minutes long. Doesn't get any better than that. Arrow put out a really sweet edition. And at one point, this movie was out of print. Um, but this is a region free, uh, region A edition, not the region B. I don't know if there's a difference, but uh, yeah, I picked that one up. Uh, the next move, uh, Arrow I picked up, uh, this is for. The part where people can judge me and call me a piece of shit because like, I mean, you can call me that regardless, but like, here's another justification for calling me that. Um, I picked up this Woody Allen box set <laughs> and, um, I got to numb the pain. Uh, but so here's a Woody Allen box set I picked up from Arrow Academy because I'm a snob and, um, so it, it's the seven films from Woody Allen that were from 1986 to 1991. And, you know, the, the movies in this box set, which is, it's gorgeous. It, it has six films, seven films. Um, it has Hannah and Her Sisters, Radio Days, September, Another Woman, Crimes and Misdemeanors, Alice, and Shadow and Fog. Um, I have seen zero of these movies, but I've... I've really enjoyed Woody Allen films. Uh, I've seen Midnight in Paris, which I freaking think is a phenomenal movie. Um, Annie Hall's fine. Um, in Manhattan, I thought it was a fantastic film as well. And I like his wittiness. Um, Woody Allen. I mean, I'm not a big fan of the guy in general, but just his dialogue is so great. Um, but so I'm, I just kind of was like, you know what? I'm going to dive just like the Spike Lee films. I'm going to dive into Woody Allen's deep cuts. So I bought this, um, Started to invest in a few more of his films because they're actually hard to get. Um, outside of if you if you're not having a region free player, the only way you could really get them is on Standard Blue or you could you could get them on Twilight Time, which they actually just went out of business and they had a bunch of his titles, which are already gone now, which is which sucks because I didn't buy anything from him. Um, but then also, if you had a region B player, Arrow Academy has been putting them out in these great box sets, but. This is out of print, and the previous two are out of print now. So the only way I could buy them now is through individual releases. So yeah, the uh, Woody Allen box set here. Uh, if you want to hear a Woody Allen impression, here it is. It's it's from Manhattan. Um, he he tells a girl, "Excuse me, hold on, gotta fix my hair and everything." <clears throat> See, I, I I'm not an angry individual. I, I I never get angry. I get a tumor is what I get. Instead, I I get a tumor. I don't get angry. I really don't. It's piss poor, I know, but uh, anyway. So the next boutique label I bought from was Screen Factory, Shout Factory, if if you may. Um, they came um, a lot quicker than a few of my arrows, um, but the two um, Screen Factories I picked up were Pumpkinhead, 
and Lake Placid. Um, I was really excited for uh, Lake Placid because uh, it's been such a cheaper Blu-ray that I never, for some reason, pulled the trigger on. Um, but Pumpkinhead was a movie that Daniel had been recommending me for a long time. And um, I finally own it now. And he, he can't recommend the movie enough. Uh, I'm really excited to watch these movies. Like I said, I sound like every YouTuber, mostly flick pick, where I'm like, I haven't seen this movie before, but I'm like a big fan of it. Um, that's essentially what I'm doing with these two movies. Um, but yeah, I'm just really excited. Bill Pullman and Bridget Fonda are in Lake Placid, which sounds awesome. Um, and then uh, Lance Henriksen of Aliens Royalty is on Pumpkinhead. So, bam, two of those right there. Um, the regular just shout factories um, I released that were released, I uh, got as um, Studio Ghibli. Like I said, Studio Ghibli apparently has a deal with Shout Factory where you get releases of those movies there. Um, so I had to pick up two that I haven't owned in my collection yet. And that was Castle in the Sky and Howl's Moving Castle. Um, I've seen both these movies. Really great stuff. Uh, I prefer Howl's Moving Castle a little bit over Castle in the Sky. But James Vanderbeek um, in Castle in the Sky is really good. I like his voice acting. And you get Mark Hamill as the villain in this movie. So... Um, it's a little bit longer than I wish it would be, but that's totally fine. And then Howl's Moving Castle, um, Christian Bale, uh, voice acts, Gene Simmons, um, is in it as well. And I absolutely love Billy Crystal in this movie. Um, I think he's just really, I just love Billy Crystal in general, actually. I'll just say that. Um, but I picked up two Studio Ghibli's. They were about 13, 14 bucks a piece. So it wasn't the greatest of deals, but like, I mean, it was you know, it was about, I wasn't paying way more of anything. So, uh, was happy to pick those up. The last movie I did pick up, it was a late release. Well, it wasn't a late release, but it was a late delivery. Um, that is the song starring Jennifer Jones as a best picture nominee, the song of Bernadette by Eureka. It also co-stars Vincent Price. Um, it's kind of interesting that this is a movie I'm talking about for my pickups because it is a religious film as well. And, um, it's a, it, it's about, um, St. Bernadette of Lourdes in France. And basically the story of her, uh, in this movie is whether or not she actually performed miracles, um, by finding, um, a little grotto and then the water there would heal the, the sick. Um, and this movie explores that in a very, very good way. Um, and basically kind of struggles of faith and, um, you know, just growing up in adolescence as well. Um, is very interesting for this movie and I've seen this twice or no three times uh, I watched it once um, in Catholic school because I grew up a Catholic <laughs> and this is the part where I lose uh, followers and listeners uh, but I grew up Catholic and uh, I was wa I watched this movie uh, as part of like a you know religion class assignment really good stuff luckily that priest was a big movie fan so we watched this it was a really good movie we watched it again with my grandmother because she really liked this movie um, and then I watched it one other time by myself because I'm weird that way. So the song of Bernadette, it was a really cheap, um, Eureka film. Actually, those were the Blu-ray pickups I made, um, during this past month or so. I was really excited. I finally got them because they were taking freaking forever <laughs> to get. So, uh, yeah, those were the Blu-ray purchases. So if you've picked up anything, let me know down below. All right. If you made it this far into the channel, then you, you know, I, I my hat's off really to you. You actually do care about me and I, I appreciate it. Um, but today, like I said, uh, we're talking about two films and the topic today is, uh, film religion. So, you know, I, I subscribe to subscribe to my deity that is, you know, the cinema gods. Um, but no, we're, we're talking about two by what are the chances of me watching two films that kind of revolve around Catholicism and they just happen to be very great works by two cinema juggernauts, I guess. Um, I'm not very, like, accustomed to their filmography, except one of them, because I've seen two films from them now, so, I mean, I guess that calls me an expert, right? Um, but no, the, the, the two films we're talking about today, uh, the first one from Jean-Pierre Melville, is from 1961, is called Leon Maureen Priest.
Um, so, Land Maureen Priest, the first one we'll talk about, it, it's it's a film um, that takes place during uh, World War II. Uh, Jean-Pierre Melville, he seems to have a fascination during this time. Uh, I, I don't, I mean, I know he had a brother who died during the war, that war, World War II. Um, and he, he's really applauding of the uh, French resistance as well. Uh, that's evident in most of the films I have seen from him because in this film, um, uh, it, it talks about the resistance, excuse me, the resistance is how you would probably say it or pronounce it. Um, and then when I watched army of shadows from 1969, his magnum opus deals with the entire brutality and, uh, and guess the bravery of fighters during the French revolution or <laughs> French resistance, excuse me. <laughs> and, uh, technically they were revolutionaries, but, but no, that. So, you know, Jean-Pierre Melville has a fascination with World War II, and it's probably for personal reasons as well. But what's so interesting about this film is he's our main character, um, who's played by Emmanuel Riva, who, I swear, folks, I didn't script this. This is, like, just by by coincidence. She was the star and lead of the Michael Hanke uh, 2012 film, Amour, which wasn't a big fan of. She plays the elderly lead film woman in that movie. Isn't that crazy? Like, what are the odds? Like, she's she's young in this movie, and the last time I just saw her, and I didn't really care for the movie much, she's, like, way older, and she was nominated for Best Actress in that movie. Like, what are the odds? But anyway, so what I think about this movie is that um, it's crazy that there's a movie about such a, a religious undertone of, like, Catholicism has to do with under-the-collar steamy romance. Like, how you decide to put this together, I have no idea, but I love every freaking minute of this thing. So let me run by it a little bit more. So, um, the Catholic priest, Leon Maureen, he's played by Jean-Pierre Belmondo of Breathless fame. Um, mind you, this is 1961, so this is a year removed. Um, he plays as a, a priest, um, and one day, he's visited by our lead, Emmanuel Riva. Um, she's a woman, actually a widow. Um, who works in this small little French town that's occupied by the Nazis, and it's evident because there's scenes of the Nazis marching, and her uh, her husband walking away in doomed to war, and he dies, and she's a widow with a young girl. Um, and he she works at this little um, shop. It's like a newspaper type of shop, I believe. And um, she's walking with her coworker one day past the church because she's like makes fun of it, and she's like it's it's, it's just not genuine it's it's a mockery the, the that church just catholicism in general like having religion is dumb right and um she uh goes in there to prove a point to her friend she's like look i'm gonna challenge a priest while in the confessionals and you know just kind of call him out on you know him being wrong and uh she chooses um leon maureen because <laughs> evidently that sounds like a poor person's name so she thought i would pick on the poor priest and it happens to be Jean-Pierre Belmondo, who, if you haven't seen, is a f- pretty good-looking guy. And him as a priest, is it that's a sin of its own. He's just too attractive. Anyway, so she goes into the pew with him, and he asks her, you know, like, confess her sins. And he's not very enthusiastic, which is surprising to her. Uh, so she starts challenging him and saying why she won't give her uh, confession to him. And she's like talking about like evidence of like, you know, why, how could you believe in religion? How can you believe in God? It's, it's all this other stuff and challenging his belief, um, right hand then and there in his own house, basically. And he doesn't deny it. He, he, in fact, he kind of half agrees with her on a few things and explains basically like, he's like, yeah, this, uh, you know, this is like a hope for people. I mean, if they buy it, which isn't all accurate, I mean, that's up to them to believe I'm just here to give them hope. And she's like, wow, that's not very proper of a priest. Uh, to kind of talk like that. And then he invites her to his chambers to, which is lack of a better word, um, to, to, to have more of a discussion with her later. Um, and so she does. And basically they start having a match of wits on theology. And Leon Maureen isn't, he isn't like trying to convert her in such a way like, you know, if you don't believe in God, you're going to hell kind of thing. He's mostly like, you know, this is why I believe it. Like I'm educated and he has these texts that, are more like scientific books laced in theology and he lends them to her and she reads them and she, she kind of agrees with them in a way because it's not presented in a way like you have to like it's not like the old you know fire and brimstone kind of way where if you don't believe this you're going to be damned to hell it's more like a hey these are like like here's evidence of why people believe and it kind of 
resonates with her because I think in a way, Emmanuel Riva in the film, I think she's struggling with a crisis of faith or just a belief in something because her whole life is now kind of miserable. And, um, you know, I mean, Nazi occupancy, uh, raising a single child during this time, her husband died. Um, and she walks by this church all the time. And what's funny about this church and Leon Maureen is that because it's night, it's world war II, because it's a Nazi occupied French town, um, there's a lot of Jewish people there. And in the story, you know, Leon Maureen is like converting Jews to Catholicism. So they're not persecuted by Nazis. And he's like knowing they're not trying to be good Catholics. He just knows they're trying to stay alive and he's willing to help them in that way. And he points that out too. He, he has a really good segment discussion with her about, um, Judaism and its relationship with Catholicism, which is very evident. Um, but eventually Emmanuel Riva, she, she develops, well, she's already had developed a crush on her coworker, uh, who is a secretary, um, and is, is a woman. Um, so she has a lesbian crush, um, on her coworker and, you know, she, she doesn't know how to approach this. I mean, this movie takes place in the forties. I mean, how do you approach something like that? Especially during a Nazi occupancy. So she confides in Leon Maureen and, he thinks nothing of it. He He's not super critical of homosexuality. Like what we think about religion, especially in today. Um, he, he's very accepting of it. He's not chastising it in any way, uh, which is very interesting for its time in 1961 as well. But granted it's France, France. So they're a lot more well-versed in this type of thing. Um, but he's very blunt to her about these things and about, you know, just, but he's never invasive, which is something I really liked. He's not in like, he's, He's kind of a dick sometimes in a very blunt way and he's kind of too smart for his own good and he knows he likes to toy with uh Emanuela but he never like says you have to believe this you have to believe this he says this is why I believe and I'm an educated person and this is why I believe and and it's very intellectual conversation at times and it's sometimes just funny to see the two go back and forth uh but what's funny and interesting about this is she begins to develop an attraction to Jean-Paul Belmondo, like most of the viewers are doing as well. Um, and she's just like making advances towards him at times. And he's just straight up denies it. He doesn't acknowledge it as well. In fact, he, he, he it's kind of like a brother and sister type of relationship in a way where like she, he annoys and, you know, pokes at her and she like kind of takes it and gives it back in a way, but she starts to grow uh, uh, an attraction and affection for him. And she's not the only one. It's almost like every woman is attracted to Leon Maureen in the movie. Like there's like three different women who come into his, his chambers and like basically are t- giving a re an excuse to talk to him and see him and make advances towards him. And he's just so indebted to the, the clergy. And it's so interesting that these attractive women are, um, making advances to him and he's a young priest and he's just kind of like, he acknowledges it. And, but it does it doesn't interest him so it's so interesting in that way um which makes me believe that this movie is it's, one it is about theology in a way yes um and like you know the constraints of it but it's also such a such a sexual repression contradictions film about theology and like how it can coexist with these contradictions um and, and it also shows a depiction of like what war is like and what religion kind of does for people in that time. I mean, people are lonely at that time. People are doing what they need to do to survive. And, you know, oftentimes in like war religions, usually are, except for Judaism, obviously in world war two, they kind of get it like a pass in a way. Um, and I think this is very pondering for the audience. I, I, I think there's one scene in this movie and, 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 you know, it's kind of upsetting. So if like, if, if you can't handle this kind of thing, I totally understand. Um, but there's a, there's a scene the, the Nazis, they're Nazis. They're evil. But in the movie, there aren't so many evil depictions. In fact, there's a scene with a Nazi soldier playing with a small French girl and like saying they're best friends, um, which is weird because Jean-Pierre Melville is not a Nazi sympathizer in any way, but he humanizes the Nazi soldier and he's seems like a decent person. Later on in the movie, the... The, the small village gets liberated by um, U.S. forces. And 
when Emmanuel Riva is walking home, there's two American soldiers and they both offer to walk her and her daughter home. And near the end, one of the soldiers is basically saying like, let me come upstairs with you. And she's like saying like, no, like, I don't want you coming up here. I have a daughter. Leave me alone. Why are you doing this? You just liberated our small town. And he's like, you owe me. Like, you know, I walked you home. Invite me upstairs now. And he's basically trying to coax into having a sexual encounter with her. And he's being very forceful about it. And it's really tense and it's gross and it's upsetting. And um, eventually he he stops because he's annoyed with her. And his fellow soldier who's younger um, is like coding him and telling him, stop, stop. Like, you know, why are you trying to do this? And he's telling him to shut up and... Um, eventually he just goes on his own way, calls her a B word and yeah, it's very upsetting. And I think Melville does this on purpose. I think he tries to show that in war, there are two sides. And if you want to look at a black and white, there's good and bad. But I think he's also trying to show and say, not everyone who's on the good side was good. And not everyone who was on the bad side was a bad person. And I think that kind of resonates with the religious ta- undertone of the movie you know, like you have religious figures who are good, but just because they're religious doesn't mean they're all good too. Like Leo Maureen is a good person. He He's for the clergy helping good people out. At the same time, is he on purpose helping these women because he knows he's attractive? Is he using his good looks to convert these people into religion? I don't know. And I'm, I, I, it's something that I kind of had thought about in a way and like wonder if that's a good or bad thing. Um, uh, but it, it kind of shows just the right or wrong aspects and that how it like events in life in general is just confusing. And because Emmanuel Riva eventually decides to become a devout Catholic, but she cannot escape these feelings for Jean-Pierre Belmondo and being attracted to him in a sexual romantic way, despite him warding off her advances. Um, and I think she's just confused and she's lonely and, uh, you, you know, when someone who's always there listening, it's like, man, like I can't have him, but he's helped me all the time. Like, how do you, how do you cope with that kind of thing? You know, that just, that, that just more rejection. Um, and I think it kind of pokes a, a, a small little hole in the, like the theology of Catholicism and like the celibacy and stuff like that. Um, and I think it makes for a very interesting thought and I really enjoy it. I rated this movie five out of five because one, it is hot under the collar, very well acted performances the story, which is based on a novel, was very well written. I, I, I wasn't ever really bored. I was I was really entertained by the movie. And I really resonate with it because just growing up Catholic. Um, but this movie, you can watch... It, uh, I, I borrowed it through D- Netflix DVD because it has a Criterion DVD. Um, but you can also buy it as a Kino Lorber release as well. Um, or if you want to buy the Studio Canal melville box set which you better not because i plan on buying that um you can buy that as well and that movie is on there so lamb maureen priest from 1961 the next film we'll be talking about the double feature with it um so if you are not into religion i am so sorry i definitely understand you not wanting to listen in on this (laughs) but the next film is by pier paolo pasolini um of salo or the 120 days of sodom fame which i haven't seen but i mean is a very notorious film in the criterion um criterion movie fan jokes repertoire i would say people will post pictures of this film not like pictures from the actual movie but just like the title cards or the blu-ray itself in any type of meme they can to act super edgy and cool and i love it to death and it's also kind of annoying too but uh before he made um, Salo, Pier Paolo Pasolini made a religious film called The Gospel According to Matthew from 1964. Signore, se tu vuoi mi puoi mandare. Lo voglio. Si, mandate. Now, Pierre is a very interesting director, and this is my first film I've watched of him, but I've also, like, done research on his life a little bit and his works, and it's so fascinating to me. Um, so he grew up in Italy, obviously, and um, he was an atheist, a homosexual, and a Marxist, which I'm not saying is a bad thing at all in any aspect, 
But that's just who he was, and he had op- was openly admitted to it as well. Um, and he made a film about the life of Jesus Christ. And actually, the film once released was hailed by the Pope at the time of being the greatest depiction of Christ in film. Um, That's really big words. Like, the Vatican see absolutely love this movie. (laughs) Um, But what's also interesting about the movie, so, I mean, if you've seen uh, The Passion of Christ, um, Son of God, um, Last Temptation of Christ, which is a... I think that one should be in its own little catalog. It's a little different. Um, But just like the story of, of, you know, of Christ in general... This movie takes the the film takes all the way from the nativity all the way to the resurrection, um. So the nativity being his birth, Jesus' birth, and the resurrection being him rising from the dead, um. But the gospel according to Matthew is so interesting because Paolo Pasolini even said in an interview, and it's evident in the movie, most of all the dialogue is taken from the gospel itself and put in the film, um. Which is a I think very very well done i think it's 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 really interesting and um it's very talent work there um i don't i i I just couldn't believe like when i was watching the movie because it's italian so you have to read a little bit of subtitles i know people who didn't like parasite are probably groaning right now too um but yeah it's 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 dub not sub excuse me um but the movie starts off with the archangel michael i believe um is who's depicted as a child um basically telling joseph jesus father what's going to happen and uh it actually shows the stress and the struggle that joseph has in delivering this news because i mean if you got this news in real life i mean wouldn't you be like what the hell the my virgin wife is pregnant already and i haven't even had sex with her which is a very gross way of just explaining the whole thing but i mean in layman's terms that's essentially what happened um and i think that's a really humanistic way of approaching that and Pasolini did this on purpose. He said he wanted to give the story of Christ in a human way as well, um, which I think he definitely did. But this movie is definitely not holding any punches as well. Um, from the nativity, obviously shows King Herod being fat and and well fed um, and pampered, and he's being told how his the the king of the Jews is going to be born, and of course he gives the 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 order to kill all the first newborns. Um, luckily, uh, Jesus' parents like. Uh, were told by the uh, the angel to leave uh, Judea, which they did. But it still has Pasolini showing a scene of uh, this Roman soldiers um, killing and uh, the children. Now it doesn't show like them stabbing a kid or anything like that. It just shows Roman soldiers um, attacking mothers with uh, little babies in their hands and just throwing them up or pushing them down their hands and they fall or rolling them down hills where they uh, inevitably die, which is very sad and it's dark. Um, but yeah, Paolo Pasolini puts this in the movie and it's, it's pretty heartbreaking. It's a little gut wrenching at times. Cause that's, I mean, you just think about that actually probably happened. Um, but yeah, it also shows the nativity scene of Jesus' birth and it's very simple. The problem with this movie I have a little bit is it's kind of a new wave type film. Uh, it just a lot of cuts, a lot of off music at times, which the music is it's, it's basically sounding like a choir singing, which I think adds to the spirituality of the movie, but it's so off place at times. So it's like, you know, the three wise men look like simple men who roll up, um, you know, on Jesus's birth, like, yo, we're here. And then like, Oh, it just starts playing. And then it's a cut, you know, and it's a new scene. And it just, it's, it's, it's kind of off at times, but it doesn't mean it's a film from 1964. You know, I mean, I, I, I'll give it some excuse. Uh, <laughs> but after that, it shows Jesus being older now, and he's about to get baptized by John the Baptist, which I think are really great scenes, um, and they feel like the the scripture text coming alive, um, and it basically from there shows Jesus is congregating his uh, disciples, um, in just in ways just like the, uh, the 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 gospel would have explained it. So I mean, shout out to Pasolini and his accuracy there. But one thing I think that steals the sh- the movie for me, and this is the part why I like this movie so much is even though it's a simple um, story retelling of a, of a well-known story, he depicts Jesus in ways I really like. He depicts Jesus as a revolutionary, and I'm not saying I am. I'm just saying I really like how he did it. He depicts Jesus also as a Marxist in a way where that the, the, the poor are being trampled on, they aren't getting respected, the Pharisees and the Romans are treating them like crap, and he's telling them, hey, 
this is what the gospel, this is what the the, the, the the religion needs to look like. And he's a revolutionary. He's angry. Jesus looks angry in this movie at times. Where, excuse me, where he's being witty, not in a way where he's like asking these Pharisees and other people who are non-believers um, who question his authority. Um, he asks them to, he gives them the parables from the gospel. He asks them questions from the Old Testament that they can't answer in ways that are so confrontational in a way that makes me go like, ha, in your face, Jesus just got you there, you know? And it's, it's, it's very entertaining in that way. And, and it seems like in a lot of movies, outside of The Last Temptation, well, even in Last Temptation in a way, um, Jesus is very passive. He, he, he's not, he's never really like in your face and like visibly angry at times in like a lot of these depictions. But in this movie, he actually does. He's very compassionate towards the people that follow him and the people who's trying to um, liberate. Um, and he seems angry at the people who are in power who are abusive to it, obviously. So I really like that. Um, and, it, and it, I mean, it's pretty accurate in terms of like, you know, Jesus being in the desert, being tempted by the devil. It shows all the things he was offered. It shows, um, the times when the disciples didn't believe him, like Peter, it shows him walking on water. It shows him feeding, um, the people who came to visit, to, to listen to him talk. Um, I think one thing is like that none of the disciples really have much of a characteristic in a way until it gets to about, um, Jesus, Judas Iscariot, um, basically, you know, betraying Jesus spoilers, if you don't know about this story. Um, but I think it does a really good job of that. Now, Pontius Pilate doesn't have very much of a, of a big role in the movie. Like some of the other movies that like, I know in the last temptation of Christ, it shows, um, uh, Willem Dafoe's Jesus, um, talking to Pontius Pilate and having like a intellectual discussion before being put to death. Um, and like the gruesome torturing and the walking of, uh, the cross, you know, it doesn't have any of that kind of stuff in this movie. It's very spiritual in a way, but it's also very, um, anguish in a way. Maybe that's what the gospel was like. Maybe that's how Pier Paolo Pasolini interpreted it. I'm glad he did interpret the way he did. Cause I really enjoyed the movie. Um, it's not super like gory, like passion of Christ, like with directed by Mel Gibson, you know, it's like, there's a part in the movie where the Roman soldier tells the guy to like lift his cross and it does. And Jesus is stripped and has his crown of thorns, you know? And, um, there is one like near the end of the movie when he does get resurrected, it has the choir playing again where it shows the archangel, um, Michael, I believe, or Gabriel can't remember because I'm a poor Catholic, um, telling Mary and everyone like, Oh, Jesus isn't here. He's resurrected. And then it shows Jesus out of the rock and then, you know, back in front of them. And then the choir music goes, oh, <laughs> and he's like, wait, what? <laughs> and then it just him basically tell him to spread his word across the land. And then the movie ends. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's just a really interesting movie. I, I don't, I, I think one of the interesting parts I got from this movie is Pasolini was asking me when watching it, not physical, but what I interpreted is he's asking the audience, if Jesus came now, do you think he'd be happy with us? And I'm not trying to get in a religious argument. I'm not trying to push any belief or anything, but just from a universal question of if this religious figure who did these things, possibly if you believe it, would he be proud of what we are now in comparison to how it was then when he was, when he died, Pasolini was probably asking that question then when he was alive. And I'm sure the, the characteristics he had, he probably one, I don't know if he was proud or not of it because of just like the way the religion acted as someone who's an atheist and a homosexual and a Marxist. Like, I don't know how the Catholic church in the sixties would have interpreted it. It seems like he made a damn good movie for them to forget about that stuff. Can't say so for the Catholicism now, but at the time I'm very interested and intrigued by that. Uh, but this movie, I just, like I said, like I was very fascinated with it. I, I do like the church, the, the story of Jesus in just as a story in general, not even for a th theological reason, but just like the story itself, I think makes for a good movie, at least for me, if you don't do it right. Now, The Last Temptation of Christ by Martin Scorsese, another fellow Catholic in the fight with me, um, did a freaking phenomenal job making that movie. And I adore that movie to death. But the gospel according to St. Matthew is giving it a run for its money, um, which is crazy because later on, Pasolini made um, Salo, you know, which is a completely different change of direction from this movie, which is so fascinating to me. Uh, if you want to watch this movie, it is streaming currently on the Amazon primes. You have to find the, there's two, there's like a few different variations. You want to click on the one that has just a picture of, of Jesus just standing in black and white. 
that's the best streaming version of it. However, if you just go do a simple Google search, type in um, Masters of Cinema and then the title film because it's a Eureka Blu-ray release, Region B. Um, that cover is the same cover for the stream on Amazon Prime. That way you're streaming the best quality version, in my opinion. So you know I won't lead my sheep astray, so to speak. I don't think that's part of the the Bible there, but that's blasphemy on my part, and I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, that um, were the two films I really just wanted to get off my chest because, you know, Catholic kill while I'm drinking my whiskey. Oh, God, I hope my family is not listening to this because they will be ashamed of me. But um, I, I just... I think theology and film is very interesting and I think it's good conversation because that's why I love film. Um, this is the part where I explain why I love movies and why if you don't agree with it, you're probably right and I'm wrong because that's usually the case in most things. But I really enjoy discussions after films and I feel like religious films usually put out the best discussion pieces because there's so many ways you can go with it. Hopefully they just never make them in arguments though. So... Also, it's a really nice, fresh uh, change of pace to watch some movies from my child. Well, I didn't, I didn't watch them as kids. Trust me, I didn't. But I mean, like, you know, memories of growing up in um, a northern liberal area versus a Bible Belt. You know, <laughs> um, I, I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying this, like a, a more stricter Christian, non-denomination, conservative area. <laughs> Um, God, if I'm offending you in any way, please let me know in person or email at thehurtastic.reviews at gmail.com. Give me all the complaints so I can read them and hate myself more than I already do. But anyway, if you really enjoyed uh, this episode of the Hurtastic podcast, I really recommend reaching out to me on Twitter or on email or even talk to me in the comment section um, on YouTube as well. Uh, if you want to be on the show, especially too, that's the best way to reach me. I am desperate for guests. So, um, yeah, that's been today's episode of uh, Re- Films as Religion. And honestly, thank you all for listening. Uh, it warms my heart that you lent my ears and had this much patience to deal with my annoying voice. Anyway, like always, don't forget to like, uh, comment, subscribe, most likely share this with your friends to tell them not to listen to this. And most of all, remember if you're not buying boutique label Blu rays, really love film i beg you to answer that question anyway i'll see you next time